Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Just kind of a little mini series on hearing God's voice, and hopefully you've been blessed. I think this is the third message in this message um, series. Today, if you're taking notes, you kind of want a map of because sometimes I can like be all over the place. I get it, uh, but I want to talk simply about how we can hear God's voice. At the end of my uh, message, within I mean, let's say about 30 minutes, I want to give you kind of a profile, kind of an example of of what our uh, collaborative relationship with God should look like. And so um, I'm just going to flesh out just a few few thoughts related to hearing God's voice again. Um, I, I think we all would agree hearing the voice of God is essential for our life, right? You can have a life without hearing God's voice. That's great. You can go at, throughout your week and you go to Starbucks and you get your, uh, I don't know, two Splenda latte or flat white, blonde, whatever. Uh, you can go to co-op and you can buy all vegan stuff and feel good about your life. You can do goat yoga, hot yoga, whatever. You can meditate. You can have a life. But we would just make an argument based on the Bible that your life is not much of one if you're not in a collaborative speaking relationship with God. That's kind of essentially what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And uh, so I want to begin today. It's, it's a little bit different. I, I tend not to like use movies as examples, but how many of you have seen Castaway? Okay, so you've seen that um, in, uh, movie. Fascinating movie, right? Um, so I, I know some people um, find it a little boring. I, I, to me, it's kind of a social experiment on what it, what it means to kind of be human, etc. Um, the whole movie's built around this, um, this story ar- uh, around Tom Hanks' character. So uh, if, if you don't know, I'll just kind of quickly go through it. Remember, he's marooned on an island, right? It would be the worst thing that could ever happen to every extrovert in this room, right? <laughs> So all you, you, those who have been given the gift to gab, like you just talk and talk and talk, this would be your worst nightmare. Can I get an amen, right? So you know it, right? So they're marooned, uh, or excuse me, Tom Hanks is marooned on an island. He's cut off essentially from the world. And then one day, this fortuitous moment, uh, you have a volleyball, right, that washes on the, on the shore. And uh, through a series of, of events, I think Tom Hanks' character, he's trying to, trying to survive, trying to figure out his new life. He, um, as he's building a fire, right, and I probably got the details wrong, he cuts his hand. So he starts to bleed, and he bleeds all over the volleyball. And then Tom Hanks has an epiphany, right? And uh, as his blood is on um, this volleyball, he creates an, a couple eyes, I think maybe a, a mouth, and maybe kind of a semi-smiley face, and the whole movie really is um, centered around this series of tete-a-tetes or conversations between Tom Hanks' character and uh, Wilson, right? Wilson! Right? So, so some of you are like, I've never seen that movie, and I'm not going to go see that movie. Pastor, you're weird this morning. Um, I, I'm fascinated with this, this um, movie for several reasons. Uh, one of which I, I think we all would agree that Wilson, everyone say Wilson. Wilson served as, um, we'll say, an impersonal, non-speaking presence, you could even say a f- semi-friend for Tom Hanks's character, right? It was provisional. 
Uh, he had no other relationships. So because we are built, everyone say built, we are built for cooperative speaking relationships, right? This is how God has designed us. We are pro-social creatures designed by God to interact with each other. Tom Hanks had to have some sort of presence that he could have conversation with. So, Chris, why, why are we talking about Wilson, an impersonal uh, presence, non-speaking presence that had a quasi-relationship with Tom Hanks's character? The reason why I bring it up, because I th- I've thought about this long and hard for years and years and years. To me, this relationship that Tom Hanks had with Wilson is much like what many Christians have with God. In other words, American-styled religion has settled for something similar in, in, in which we find in Castaway. Um, a Wilson, I'll say it this way, American-styled religion has settled for a Wilson-like relationship with God. What do you mean, Chris? Well, um, this, is the, this is fancy talk. I'm not going to get into this. I know I've done fancy talk way too long with people. So I'm just going to like sum up. The fancy way of describing this American-styled religion is privatized Epicureanism, which basically means this, that we largely believe that God is an absentee deity who serves as a non-communicating presence in our life. So we'll come to church, right? And uh, we'll have a sense of his presence, which is good. The Bible tells us that in his presence is what? Fullness of joy, right? Uh, God will come, and in his presence there's life and life forevermore. We believe that. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came. His whole mission was to come to give us life and life more abundantly. So we should expect, we should have a high expectation that whenever, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, right, we should, when we come into the presence of Jesus, we should experience some joy. Christians are not, are not killjoys, right? Jesus was not a killjoy. We should experience, as we relate with Jesus, we should experience some joy, some peace. Uh, every now and then, I get it, you'll, you'll get some goosebumps. Maybe this morning, in the, as Pastor Ken was leading us, in worship, and our worship team was leading us into the very presence of God. I know some of you probably felt um, something happening to your body, right? You felt the presence of God. You felt a sweetness in the words of Pastor Ken. You felt presence, and we should feel the presence of God. But even though, back to Wilson, Wilson served as an impersonal kind of presence, non-speaking presence for Tom Hanks, we all know that that impersonal, non-speaking presence is not sufficient in our relationship with God. In other words, there can be no depth or texture in our relationship with God if there's no intelligible exchange of words or ideas. Can I get a hello? Right? For example, my wife and I, we, um, we, uh, we're, we're, we've been married for 12 years now, and it's pretty amazing and uh, we're, just, we're just getting into our, our flow, right? We're just, man, when we hit the 50-year anniversary mark, we're just going to be just better at everything, right? So we're just getting better, and our relationship's getting deeper. Um, and I, after 12 years of just simply being with my wife, I have a really good sense of what she likes and what she doesn't like. 
right? Uh, there, there's, we, we use a lot of nonverbal cues. Every now and then when I bring home a chocolate shake, right, and some Chick-fil-A, I do get the long stare. My wife doesn't have to say anything. She just looks at me with this disappointed look, like, you are a child, Chris, right? We need to feed our kids good food. So we, we do, in our relationship, there, we, we have a lot of nonverbal cues. I have a really good idea without my wife communicating to me what she wants because we're just with each other all the time. It took me about seven years, but now I can, she doesn't even have to tell me, I can go to the grocery store and I can get exactly what she wants and she is hard to please. But after seven years of practice, I have figured out all these obscure brands from Switzerland, right, that she loves. Um, we should expect that in our relationship with each other. Can I get a witness, right? We should also expect that, yes, with our, and we talked about this last week, in our or with our relationship with God himself. However, that is not enough if you want to have a sustaining relationship with God. It doesn't fit just having some nonverbal cues from God and having an impression or a vague sense that he loves you is not what we've been built for. In fact, we come now finally to Scripture, and this is what I love more than anything, is Psalm 32. Psalm 32, 8 through 9 says, and here we have the poet kind of describing his relationship with other people. Also, it's a depiction of how God relates to us. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Think, think how this is, this is a conscious, intelligent exchange of words when it comes to teaching. I will counsel you, I love this, with my eye, it's a Hebrew phrase, my eye upon you, right? An eye upon you simply represented an intimate relationship, an intimate tete-a-tete. It's a, it's a student-teacher uh, relationship, relationship that's based on words. It's a pedagogic relationship that God wants with us. And then verse 9 says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. So the relationship that we have, this collaborative relationship that we have, that we see in Psalm 32 with God himself is built not on a non-communicating impersonal relationship. It's built around the exchange of words. Psalm 143, if you don't believe me, verse 10 says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. I love this. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So the spirit of God is not a non-communicating or non-speaking impersonal automaton right? Or some cosmic gas. This is kind of the caricature on a street level that people have when it comes to how God relates to us. No, God is a communicating presence. I'll even make it a, a more strengthen that statement. God is a communicating personality, and he wants to lead us not just through vague sensations of joy or rapturous feelings of revelation, which are all good, but he wants to have a conversational style relationship with you and I. Come on, I, don't, I thought I would get a few more amens. Are you, are, are you hearing me this morning? In fact, we made the argument a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 1, Dr. Um, uh, Mackey, he, he explained it this way. Uh, you have capital E Elohim, creator God, who comes on the scene and he speaks. We know this in Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, right? Speaks reality. 
and quantum dynamics and space and time and consciousness and the possibility of having even a Super Bowl today and maybe even the possibility of Tony Romo unretiring and coming back to the Cowboys and leading us to the promised land, right? And all my Cowboys fans said, okay. (laughs) It's just never, like second service, they give me a better amen. So think about it, okay? So <laughs> that, was, that was pathetic. I should have made men myself. That would have been better. Um, as we talk about this vast uh, complex of space and time and matter, it runs. If this is true that God created the world with his words and thoughts, it runs on information. In fact, Richard Dawkins, if you don't know him, you don't have to read him. He's an anti-theist, doesn't believe in God. But this is what he said. In his words, genetics is a branch of information technology. The more we get to know the genetic code, we realize it is truly digital in exactly the same sense of computer codes. He's basically saying even on the genetic level, you have this complex of specified biological information. Now, he tries to argue that this purpose or this intelligence that we see, prima facie, is just a happy accident, which we all say he's wrong. Can I get an amen? But the universe that we know runs on the language of God. God is not an impersonal, non-speaking presence. He wants to lead you beside the still waters. And he does that through his voice. Dangerous idea in the words I'm paraphrasing one scholar. It's dangerous to think that we are only to be led by God by some vague feelings or sensations over and against an intelligent, specific, conscious, information-led relationship with Jesus himself. If you want to have a pagan vision, vision of deity, just live on the basis of God just maybe giving you a few feelings, maybe a quiver in your liver, right? Some goosebumps, right? But you largely believe God doesn't want to speak to us. We believe that we live, as Dallas Willard mentioned, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we live in a communicating cosmos. God is present in every day of your life, and he's not silent, This is good preaching. And he wants to lead you into his purpose that he has for you. And the purpose that God has for you is not just for you. It's for the city. It's for the world. It's for this generation. It's for other people. And God wants to lead you into that destiny through his words. In fact, we talked about this, but Jesus in John's prologue is the what? The Logos. The Logos in this Greco-pagan society simply meant the supreme intelligence, the supreme wisdom, the, the, the word, the voice. This is who God is. But we have to, as we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, we have to learn to recognize God's voice through practice. Practice? practice, right? Through our personal experience with Jesus as we make a commitment to simply be with him. Now, we talked about why God's voice um, isn't always obvious. 
And we, we um, I, I took probably five or ten minutes, I can't remember, last week, and addressed some of those concerns and problems that we might have in which God, at least his voice for us, sometimes isn't clear. Uh, here's another reason why we have to learn to recognize God's voice through practice is simply because we have to learn about everything, right? Information doesn't ju- isn't just... We have two babies, two beautiful, screaming babies, right? And they're beautiful boys, but I, and I wish it, it, this is how life worked, but they don't, they're not put, built into them like a complex of language skills, right? All they know how to do right now is cry. And now we're in now that two-month-like period where they're laughing now. It's the, it's the cutest thing ever. So they laugh and cry and they poop, right? Okay. So in case we've forgotten that, you, the knowledge, the complex or the edifice of knowledge that you have right now in your life had to be learned. Now God created you. There's a very complicated philosophical argument related to this I won't get into because I know you guys would just totally draw it out of me, right? Spend hours speaking about this. But simply, we are built for this kind of information, but we got to learn it, right? I just, two, two uh, years ago, when we were up in the Sawtooth Mountain Range, I learned that grizzly bears, I wish I never would have learned this information, have ten times the smell of, of a bloodhound, right? So I never got to sleep that night, okay? we got to learn information. Everyone said we got to learn it, right? we got to learn it. Uh, I learned how to chop wood. There's a right way to chop wood or trees down, which I totally did, and there's a wrong way, right? You can't just chop like this. And all the Idaho mountain men said amen. Okay, we've got two, a few of you. Uh, you have to chop like, like that, right? So um, we learn to read, to write. We learn algebra. We, we learn it. We learn the obvious as we, um, as we commit to practice, as we commit to um, learning information through personal experience. So how do we learn to recognize the voice of God through practice in our life. Number one, number one, it's really simple. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. I'm just gonna make this even more clear. We have to be committed to God's story. We gotta be committed radically. Everyone say radically. We gotta be radically committed. Some of you are just radically committed to your team, which is totally fine. Like you paint your face, you lose your mind on Super Bowl Sunday. Or you're radically committed to your veganism, or you're radically committed to that whatever in life, and it's not saying anything negative about that, that's totally fine. But if we have professed that we are committed to following Jesus, we have to be committed to God's story. Why? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17 tells us that God's story or scripture is what? It's breathed out in verse 16. It's breathed out by God. It's the language of God. Right? It's, it's birthed by the Spirit, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the person of God may be what? Competent, equipped for every good work. So as we're committed to God's story, we're committed to this collaborative relationship, Scripture is is God-breathed. It's the wisdom of God. And as we come under it, God gives us the strength to be 
who he's called us to be. The problem is, is we've mixed up what the Bible is for. I want to explain. We all have, and my, my whole goal this morning is to shatter or to wreck the filter that many people on, this, on the street or even in the church building have when it comes to the Bible. The filter that many people have of the Bible is that it's largely, we even say when it comes to even Jesus, when it comes to the angels, when it comes to metaphysics, when it comes to God, or when we read our Bible, it's largely irrelevant to most of our lives. Some of our lives the Bible can speak to, right? Um, most, some, some of our lives when it comes to like we really need God in this season, we'll go to scripture and we'll get a message from God that makes us feel better about ourselves and then we kind of go on uh, with the rest of our lives. Many people just kind of assume that the Bible is, is for those do-gooders, right? Come on. It's for the religious folk. It's for maybe the Mother Teresa types who just really love people. And Chris, I'm not that kind of guy. I just want to go home today. I just want to chill. Give me a good message. I'll chill at home. I'll drink some Pepsi, watch a good game, just kind of hang out. I want to be a good dad or I want to be a good wife, or I, you know, I just kind of want to be a good person. Um, but when it comes to the Bible, the Bible's more for the religious types. Others, when it comes to the Bible, they think of the Bible as very Victorian, very prudish when it comes to sex, or power, or identity, or our, rela- or, or our relationships, right? Many people, this is their working filter. And we've settled, and even people in the church have settled for a Wilson-like filter of the Bible, meaning much like Tom Hanks was cut off from the world, marooned on an island, right? His relationship with Wilson was just irrelevant when he came back to the States. In the words of one scholar, we've shrunk the Bible down to either how we get to heaven, this disembodied place with all these weird disembodied harps where we glow like the stars, right? Or we've shrunk the Bible down to God and me getting right, and God helping me to pay my taxes, and God helping me to be nice to people. But when it comes to politics, when it comes to sex, when it comes to identity, when it comes to peace, when it comes to work, my work, when it comes to my depression, when it comes to dirty diapers, when it comes to my issues, the Bible really doesn't speak to that. That's a filter that a lot of people have, and maybe you don't think consciously like that, but because you've grown up in this Western-styled world, that's just kind of the air that we breathe. Yeah. It would be strange. Let me just uh, paraphrase one scholar. It'd be strange if we went to creation, the creation story, and we read a story about God filling his temple, creation itself, with his presence, creating image bearers, humans, Adam and Eve, who were then given the responsibility to take care of God's world through wisdom and love. It'd be strange if we thought that story led to simply going to heaven or just getting us, like my personal life, right with God. It'd be strange then if we went to Abraham and God came to Abraham, if you're not familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 2, 12, and blessed Abraham so he can be a blessing to the world. Or it'd be strange to think when we go into Moses and we see Moses building this portable tabernacle where God's presence would come to and, and, and God's presence would lead his people um, into uh, the promised land. 
and as we see the tabernacles, we see the temple as an overlapping dynamic of heaven and earth coming together, and also as a sign of how God wants to flood creation itself, and then moving into uh, the kings. The kings of ancient Israel were called to represent God's authority and wisdom, but they failed, and finally we come to Jesus of Nazareth, and on, on that Good Friday, it's Jesus who exhausted the power as, as the true image bearer exhausted the powers of evil and death and corruption itself. And then on that good Easter, right, from Good Friday to Easter, Jesus comes back from the dead. And then the early Christians go around announcing not, hey, we got a cool message on how you can get to heaven or how you can just simply get right with God. No, it was a message that from creation all the way to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus now is the sovereign over the whole earth. And that God was doing something to creation. I just, I get, ah, oh, our thinking when it comes to scripture is so shrunken and domesticated and dumbed down. It's not about when we go to scripture about how we can get right with God per se. Of course, it includes that. But it's about what God wants to do through you in rescuing creation itself. God will not annihilate this planet. Am I, am I speaking too harsh this morning? God will not annihilate this planet. He will restore it. He will heal it. He will remove depression and plagues and sickness and dirty politicians and powers that want to ruin and deface God's beautiful world. And God wants us to work in cooperation with him. So the Bible is not for retreating to some private world. The Bible is not designed for a detached spirituality that's cut off or marooned from everyday life. In fact, I get really excited about this, but the Bible and God's story is about how the Holy Spirit wants to equip you, and it runs through Jesus, but how the Holy Spirit wants to equip you and I as image bearers to do the work of cooperating with God's rescue of the world. It's, and, and, and as we read Scripture, as we come under Scripture, as we're committed to God's story, this will affect how we treat our bodies. This will affect how we handle sex. This will affect our understanding of gender. This will empower us in our work. This will give us a fresh, fresh insight into how we handle power. This will empower us in, in art and in beauty and in writing and in design and in teaching and whatever God has called you to do. I've had a multiplicity of conversations with people this year about how they're in a domain of work. It's their career. They've got great Christians. And yet they're they're baffled because their domain of work is so dominated by secular assumptions, they don't know how to be Christian in this world. Yet when we commit ourselves to God's story, the voice of God comes to us, empowering us to be true image bearers, reflecting his wisdom and his love at our places of work. The biblical filter runs not through a personalized privatized, me and Jesus, I'm going to fly off to a disembodied place where we shine like Rihanna's diamonds, right? I love that. 
No, it's all about, it's the biblical story runs through Jesus. It's all about Jesus, King Jesus, who sovereignly loves creation. And he wants you and I to be a part of this great project of healing the world. So here's the thing. When, when you're committed to being in this story, and by commitment, you're, you're reading it. You're really reading it. You're not just waiting for um, me or Pastor Ken or, or my wife or some of our teaching team to come up and give you the word, which is really important. But you're actually every day, we're not perfect. I know some days we miss. But as much as possible through God's grace, we are committed to studying and memorizing and reading and talking about God's word. Some of you, which is totally fine. I love this. It's a gift. My wife is like this. She can just off the top of her head give me lines from obscure movies from 20 years ago. I'm like, babe, that's a gift, right? And that's great. Some of us, we just, we've memorized. Like, like, like some of you just love Jay-Z or Drake and this, hey, that's great if that's your thing. You could just like every song, you just like, come on, come on. You just know the song, you know the words. Nothing against that, but if, Let's just be honest. Can I just be honest this morning? If you're a fully devoted Christian, I think we should have something like that with Scripture. Jay-Z, man, I, I hate to break it to you, but man, his word, like 100 years from now, no one's going to know who Jay-Z is. His words might inspire you in the moment. Hey, great. But I don't... I'd rather have the voice of God. I'd rather have the language of God in my heart and in my mind, in my bloodstream, right? It's the language of God. It's the word of God that if, if it's true, which we believe it is, built the vast architecture of space and time. I take that over Eminem and Jay-Z and Post Malone, whatever, right? Second service will really love this message. All the youths, right? But this is what happens when you're fully committed. As I kind of wind this down, as you're fully committed to the story of God, this is what's going to happen. Phrases are going to start jumping out to you. Verses will start coming to your heart. Whole chapters will just jump out. You, you might be in Target. You might be at the co-op. You might be at Kmart. Is there a Kmart anymore? No, nope, there's no Kmart. Okay. You might just be doing what you do. Maybe take, dropping your kids off at soccer, right? Maybe you're in Texas or whatever. Um, as you're committed to the word of God, you'll find that God will start speaking to you. And just, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have clarity. Clarity. Now, I got to the point in my life where I just, my dad taught me this in, in um, I think it was seventh grade. He goes, Chris, I, I want you to do this when it comes to reading scripture. So I started reading a proverb and five psalms. Every day. None of it made sense to me. <laughs> but I just kept on. Kept on just being committed to reading scripture. And it's funny, over time, and it took some time. Uh, but over time, I started, and I don't know when it happened. But I started, and I kind of have some clues. But I started having a conversation with God. I, it was just through practice. For, for a good probably year or even more, as I made that commitment to read scripture, I kind of thought I was hearing God, wasn't quite sure. But over time, as I just stayed true to my commitment to God's word, I found myself 
in a conversation with God and through practice, I could recognize when he was speaking to me and when he wasn't. Now, God can speak to you any old way he wants. But if you're, if you're committed to following Jesus, we have to be committed to God's word. And as we're committed to the story and rehearsing it and talking about it, getting it into our heart and our mind and our imagination, you'll find verses and phrases and chapters and stuff come into your heart and you will know that it is God. It's funny, I, I talk to people who learn um, a second language. Something like this happens to them. They'll study for years and years and years, let's say French or let's say Spanish. And they'll study, they try to figure out the syntax and inflection. Spanish is very inflected, right? Um, and so there's a lot of different verbal things that they have to relearn. It's different than English. And then there's a point, and they don't know when, uh, but there's a point when the, uh, it, whether it's French or Spanish, becomes second nature to them. It's a second language. And then they start dreaming. They start to dream in that particular foreign language. This is kind of how it is in our collaborative relationship with God. You just read God's story, and as you commit to that, God will begin to speak to you conversationally. We land here, Acts chapter nine. I wanna read this really quick. Here's a profile of what I want our church to experience, a profile of hearing God's voice. It's powerful, it's very prosaic. In this particular, we'll call it a pericope, or this particular story, there's not fireworks, there's no angels, there's no earthquakes, there's no booming, like, crazy earthquake voice. It's just a, it, it, a simple, we'll say, tete-a-tete or conversation that Ananias has with Jesus. And it begins in verse 10. Now there was a what? A disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might retain or regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. I love how God just doesn't answer. <laughs> no, you just, and this is what I do with my kids all the time. No, wrong question. And I used to, I, I, I had a very poor strategy with my kids. I, I felt like I had to answer every question and I gave that up. No, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to wait for them to focus on me and then I'm going to give them instructions again. This is kind of what God does, right? Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, right, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on that road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is a profile of a mature follower of Jesus. Note the beginning. 
of the, the little story, it says that Ananias was a what? He was a disciple. I think so many times, and I believe there's an art to interpreting Scripture. Uh, in the branch of theology, we call it hermeneutics. And probably this year we'll offer a class of called How to Read Your Bible for All It's Worth. I think it's important that we, uh, every Christian goes through that. But I also believe that even if you don't go through maybe the science of interpreting Scripture, you still can hear from God. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people offer techniques to interpreting the voice of God before stressing commitment. And here we have, it's just simple. He is a disciple, a methetes in the Greek. Methetes was simply a student or a learner. Here we have a mature follower of Jesus. And Jesus comes to Ananias, and Ananias responds and says, Here I am. And what happens? We then have this beautiful, intelligent, conversational, specific, and clear exchange of words between Jesus. This isn't strange, but between Jesus and Ananias. What's strange is living our life for 30 years based on what we find in the Bible, the biblical portrait of following Jesus and God. What's strange is having simply a non-speaking relationship with God. That's strange. Here we have a beautiful picture of God entering into a conversation. Jesus gives instructions. Ananias responds. Back and forth. Right? It's, it's, it's conscious. It's, it's um, specific. It's clear. All because Ananias has a commitment. A commitment to the story of Jesus. But guess what happens? From this conversation, I love this, as we close, said that Ananias then went to Paul and prayed, gave instructions to Paul, and then he prayed over Paul, and something like scales came off his eyes so he was able to see. Let's just thought experiment. What would have happened as we close here if Ananias was not engaged in some sort of conversational relationship with Jesus? What would have happened to Paul from Antioch who transformed the entire Western world? Hate to break it to you, you are Pauline, even if you're not a Christian. Paul has shaped how the Western world thinks and sees, obviously because of his relationship with Jesus. It's through Ananias and his conversation, very specific and clear conversation that he had with Jesus, that God used Ananias to change Paul. You see, God wants to speak to you. As you're committed to the story of God, what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself in a, wrapped up, caught up in a conversation. It's going to be clear. It's going to be specific. Make no mistake. This doesn't mean, you need to qualify, that you're going to hear something clear every single day, right? That doesn't happen. But as, as long as we're open to this, this conversational, intelligent style of communication with God, we will find in our life more um, events or more relational speaking moments with the Holy Spirit. And God comes and speaks His voice into our life, not just so we can feel good, but it's for, it's for the sake of the world, right? The voice of God is not isolated. I love this. It's not privatized as we talk about. The voice of God is not like a Wilson-like 
thing that we Christians have. No, God comes and speaks to us, and it's through us that God heals people. Paul, the scales from his eyes fall off. Ananias gives very clear instruction to Paul what he is supposed to do. And then he gets baptized, and then Paul goes on a crazy tour, transforming the known world upside or right side up. This is a profile of what I want our church to enter into in 2019, where we make a commitment to God's story and then we open up our heart to, for God to speak to us and also through us. This is important. It's important. God will speak to you because he also wants to speak to other people. Uh, some of you have heard the story as I close. I was, I think, 12 years old. All I wanted to do was play basketball. And I needed some clear instructions because I was playing a few other sports, and, um, but I was really f narrowing my focus on playing basketball as an option. I wanted to play D1, all that kind of stuff. So MJ, how many of you love MJ? Michael Jordan, greatest of all time, right? He was my hero. So I wanted to be like Mike. And so I went up to this camp and um, I just, the whole time, I was just asking God, God, give me clear instruction about what you want me to do with my life. I'm 12, 13 years old. And so at the very end of this camp, it was probably day five, uh, this pastor at the end came up to me. He started praying over a lot of people. I was, I think, the last person. And uh, he says, Chris, I got a word from God for you. And again, some of you have heard this story before. And I remember thinking, yes, finally, God is gonna tell me that I'm gonna be like MJ. And I'm going to go play D1 ball, and I'm going to play in the NBA, all that kind of stuff. So I said, yes, Lord, I'm listening. Here I am, right? And so the pastor goes, this is what I felt like the Lord spoke to me to give to you, that uh, you're supposed to be a boy. There's a depth in you that God has given you a wisdom gift. And one day, God will give you major responsibility in the kingdom of God. And I remember thinking, oh, crap. I think that was, because I can't cuss, right? And so that's what I thought. That was the, the word that came through my mind. I'm like, no, I don't want that. It's funny, though, how that word has given shape to my entire life. If it wasn't for that word, I'm not quite sure where I would be. Now, I think God is gracious and merciful, and he can use a lot of different ways to get our attention. But it's that one specific, clear word that changed my life. I want that for you. I want you to hear that, and I want God to work through you like that in 2019. We need to tell a generation through our lives and our commitment to God's story that God is not Wilson. God is not Wilson. He's not a non-communicative dummy. God is the one who brought existence and reality to fruition. It's through Jesus the Logos who defeated sin and death and corruption, who came back from the dead and now is in charge of the whole world. We need people in the church to get a vision of how God through his voice wants to work through us to bring healing to our cities and our neighborhoods and our families and to strangers.